This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. Welcome back to another episode of We Art Tacoma. I'm your host, Eric Hanberg. I'm producer Doug. And we are once again on location, this time at the Museum of Glass, which is why you maybe can hear a little train noise. Uh, I don't know if the mic will pick that up or not. but Audio magic only goes so far. Yes, exactly. But we are here with an interview of glass artist Preston Singletary, who lives in Seattle but has a major exhibit here called Raven and the Box of Daylight. And uh, I think people should come down and see it, and uh, you'll get a sense why when you listen to this episode. Well, uh, we are here at the Museum of Glass with glass artist Preston Singletary. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for uh, for taking the time to do this and uh, for talking about Raven and the Box of Daylight, which is your ex- exhibition here at the museum. Yes, very good. So I want to uh, get to know you a little bit as, as an artist. Glass seems like the kind of thing that would be really hard to break into. You know, it's not like a... If you want to be a novelist, you can just sit down and start writing. But glass seems like it takes a little bit more. But I understand you have kind of a, a, a backdoor entry into the glass world. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I started uh, with an introduction through Dante Marioni. Um, his father, Paul Marioni, was the first glass artist I ever met. We were, Dante and I were friends in high school. So, was, you know, I was 15, he was 14. Um, and he started blowing glass couple years later, taking little classes and working at the Glass Eye. Uh, so when we finished with high school, then he got me a job at the Glass Eye factory. I was 19 at the time. And this is in the Seattle area? Yeah, it's up in Seattle. It was, um, you know, a production studio that that became pretty popular through making Mount St. Helens glass. So they would take the ash from the glass, or from the the ash from the, the volcano, and then they would melt it in the basis of glass of silica, so they would we'd make, uh, you know, Christmas balls and paperweights and That's things cool. out of that uh, material. Um, and it was, you know, quite popular. So I got a, a really good in just as a production glass blower, And then from there, I started to go to Pilchuck Glass School about 1984. Um but yeah. before we get to Pilchuck, I understand you started at the, at the Glass Eye as the night watchman, according to Wikipedia. Maybe Wikipedia correct. has that. Okay, yeah. it is correct. <laughs> yeah, I was, was a night watchman. I was uh, like working in restaurants prior to that. So after school, after high school, I started working in restaurants. And then, um, you know, just this opportunity came up. So I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. You know, I worked from 11 to 7 in the morning. Um, and filled up the furnaces in the middle of the night and, you know, got everything prepped for the glass blowers to come in about 7 a.m. Wow. So that's kind of how I started. But that was that was probably about three or four months or five months, I forget. But then they moved me to the floor, um, to the production floor. And at that time, there just wasn't a lot of glass blowers in the Northwest, you know. So um, they thought they'd take a chance on some young guys and and train us, you know, from the, you know, from the ground up. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went to Pilchuck. And then a couple years later in '84, I started to go to Pilchuck Glass School, and 
and then I was exposed to how artists work with glass and basically was exposed to the uh, you know international community of glass artists and um, that gave me some ideas about you know making my own work and then um, it was a few years later about 1988 so pretty quickly I started to dabble in uh, connecting the clinket design work into the glass and uh, um, you know all the time working as, a, as an assistant glass blower um, so now I've departed the glass size studios and I started working for Benjamin Moore and he had a product you know sort of a specialty studio where we worked with a lot of uh, very established artists and so that's how I was able to expand my you know experience and so it was all through practical experience you know, practical work experience. Yeah. Do you think, well, let, let me ask this question. How do you think glass has changed uh, either in the Northwest or globally? Because it seems like there's been a, a real renaissance of, of glass artists, especially here. Yeah, especially in the Northwest. I think it's largely due to Pilchuck and, you know, even the museums had a, a big part of that, uh, Museum of Glass, um, giving you know, opportunities for, for people to work here at the museum, uh, but also, uh, uh, you know, the magnet of Pilchuck drawing people to, to participate in the summer months. And then um, because of the, the community, a lot of people relocated here yeah. and it just grew from there. So it really um, became quite... Uh, a movement in a lot of ways and so that now we find ourselves with the biggest sort of glass community in the in the country yeah at least and also kind of um you know i think we're getting you know sort of global attention and and people are traveling here more and more to to see what's going on in the northwest yeah i think so too tacoma i think sometimes we um I think some people are just kind of over glass in Tacoma. There's a sense where, like, you can go to the Swiss pub and there's Chihuly glass. Like, like we we take it for granted, right. um, which is too bad because it's it's still really vital and amazing to me. Well, it's you know one of the biggest art communities here in the Northwest, and I think that that is um, yeah, it's interesting that we're I think we're always trying to figure out how to raise the awareness of it because you know when you hit town sometimes. Uh, like if you walk into SeaTac, you know, there's nothing really says, oh, this is a glass area, glass region. And they have Glassy Baby there, you know, a little a little kiosk with, you know, selling glass. But, you know, it could be, you could do more um, and really celebrate what's ho- happening here in the Northwest because yeah. it's pretty special. Yeah. I There's, I mean, not only the Swiss, but the McDonald's has a glass uh, on uh, Tacoma Avenue, which I, I, there's no way that's a real Chihuly, but it's in, it's in the style of, of sure. Chihuly. It's pretty funny to me. Uh, if someone were interested now in breaking into glass, you had a, a, a different path that might not even be available now. How would you say someone who's thinking about it now should go about getting into that world? Well, I think it's interesting, you know, they've got the Hilltop program here in Tacoma, which, you know, trains, you know, it has the, a glass facility there that, that there's a lot of teenagers getting into glass blowing. There's uh, the university routes. Um, a lot of people that I meet today, you know, went to, to college for, you know, glass blowing and, and as, as a focus. And so, um, but really, 
I don't know. There's there's always. Uh, I mean, glass blowers are quite social people because we work in teams. We work all. You know, there's a lot of cooperation going on and a lot of um, of you know. Uh, I don't know, camaraderie around yeah. that. So uh, I know people have moved here and tried to find their way into some production studio and then they get taken on as an assistant. And they, you know, so it, there, there are ways. I think it's just about perseverance, really, um, and finding those opportunities uh, kind of like I did. I mean, I think they're, they're a little harder to come by, but I wouldn't really know because I did it so long ago. It was easier for me at that time. <laughs> Can just anyone go to Pilchuck or something like that? Yeah, they have, they have, uh, you know, um, they teach all methods of glass making there. So you can do things that are not necessarily glass blowing. You can, you, you know, work in sculpture or, or mold making and casting and certain things that aren't as, you know, physical as glass blowing. But and they have beginning glass blowing, um, you know, courses there. But that's kind of like on the high level. When you go to Pilchuck, you're exposed to many different kinds of sensibilities. So yeah. you know, if you're taking a particular class, one style of you know, you know, fusing or kiln kiln work, you know, you're you're also seeing what's going on in the in the glass blowing studio. And yeah. so it's a lot of it. It just kind of um, that's where you get a lot of inspiration because then you start to imagine, oh, maybe I could try this or right. go in a different direction. Who knows? Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, like the the film world, you know, where it's like very team focused. You can either go through the schools or you can know someone who knows someone and kind of has that same kind of vibe to me from the outside. Yeah, I think that it does work that way or it can work that way. And um, I mean, the thing about glass blowing is that, you know, you can't escape the time dedication that it takes to get, you know, proficient with it. Sure. So, um, um, there's a lot of, you know, getting a production job is, is a really good way of getting really comfortable with the material and making things consistently. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's one way. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, that in, I think you said in the late eighties, you started to bring in themes from the, from the clinket which is a Native American, mm -hmm. just for the listeners here, you know, but a Native American uh, tribe from the, the coast primarily, if I understand yeah, correctly. Yeah, from Alaska. Yeah. Uh, was that a, a rediscovery process for you? Was that how, how did that come about? Because I feel like sometimes that can be your own personal journey or sometimes I'm just curious how you think of it. Well, you know, it's a, it's a family connection. And uh, I, I was thinking, you know, how could I develop my own style and I, and I kind of turned to my cultural background, which, um, you know, was, you know, I got through my family, my great grandmother and my aunties, you know, they were all very involved with, um, you know, native culture here, uh, in the Northwest. Um, and so the more I looked into it, um, I basically taught myself really through, looking at books and understanding the design work, um, taking workshops and understanding how to create my own original designs. Um, and, uh, you know, typically I would have come at it through a wood carving kind of angle, but 
you know, I, I saw that this, this glass, um, there was a way of, of um, sandblasting onto the glass so it could draw designs onto the glass and then carve them into the glass. And so that's what I started with. And uh, that's what I continue to do. Um, but more uh, evolved, you know, the first forms that I worked on were very simple. Uh, bowl shapes and sort of cylindrical shapes to represent like a totem pole or something. Mm -hmm. And so I um, then started to, you know, uh, I took a, a workshop with a really amazing glass sculptor, Pino Signoretto, up, up at Pilchuck. And uh, I can't remember, it was uh, late 90s or something. And then, um, you know, he was really well-versed in sculpting the glass and, and creating um, sculptural forms. So that's what I, uh, you know, and then, of course, Billy Morris was another uh, glass artist who was affiliated with Pilchuck as well and Dale Chihuly, and so he was really, uh, you know, he kind of took that sculptural style, and um, he would create, like, bird and animal forms and things and faces and masks and things like that. So I uh, kind of took a cue from that, and I started to push my ability and, and try to get more sculptural with the form, yeah. with, with the material. Are you, are you talking when you, with your glass to... Are you telling stories to the Clinket, or are you telling others about the stories of the Clinket? How do you think of that? Uh, it goes both ways. Like sometimes I'll, uh, I mean, everything that I would make, you know, might have some sort of a reference to the culture. You know, if it's a raven or an eagle or killer whale or something. So these are all these are all symbols that, um, you know, and the, they. They can be crest symbols, so they represent families, and the stories actually go back to specific families, mm. and they are a, a kind of intellectual property, and they would be, you know, told, and that was understood that that's where that story came from, from that particular clan, and so then those stories, stories were shared across, you know, the different clans, and everybody understood, you know, these stories, and so that's kind of where I, I. So, yeah, the long story, long uh, answer, but I'm I'm trying to, um, you know, pioneer this new material in and make it a new tradition. Um, and so, with that, especially with Raven in the Box of Daylight, it's sort of uh, it's a story that you're immersed into, and it's a very well known story. And so that was a a big challenge. To, to do that, but um, sometimes I'll get more abstract with it, and I'll just make something for that's kind of fanciful and has the design work, um, and it's kind of uh, you know an abstract sculpture. And then sometimes it's very specific, like I'll try to recreate a particular form that was maybe made in wood, and then I'll try to recreate it in glass. Yeah. Well, that's a really good uh, place to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Raven in the Box of Daylight. Okay. Great. Channel 253 is sponsored by our friends at Tacoma Arts Live. Did you know that Tacoma Arts Live offers one of the largest arts education programs in the state? Every year, more than 55,000 students, teachers, and families participate with Tacoma Arts Live through in-depth social and emotional learning, civil rights education, world culture immersion, special educational matinees, and much more. Perhaps even as impressive as the total number of students served, 
are the kind of youth served. In the in-school residency program, students were on average more diverse than the general population of our region. 79% were low income, 20% have special needs of some kind, and 8% have experienced or are homeless. Getting these kids access to arts education is vital. Whether it's the chance to bang on some drums and learn better self-discipline like one student did, or find a new sense of belonging and self-expression like two sisters who were living in a shelter with their mother did, these are students who desperately need the restorative and transformative power of the arts. Tacoma Arts Live provides our youth with the tools that will create an enlightened, creative, and discerning citizenry ready for the challenges of the 21st century. Learn more at tacomaartslive.org slash education. My thanks to Tacoma Arts Live for their support of Channel 253. And we are back with Preston Singletary, who has an exhibit of glass at the Museum of Glass here in Tacoma that runs through Labor Day weekend. And the exhibit is called Raven and the Box of Daylight. What's the story behind that? So this is a story of Raven uh, in the, you know, the beginning of time. And at, the, at, that, at that time, he was a white bird. Um, and he goes to the fisherman of the night, and he asks, where's the daylight? Um, and the fishermen tell him of uh, uh, this old man that uh, has these uh, this this daylight in his clan house. He uh, then goes to meet the old man and asks if he can you know come and see the daylight. And the old man kind of shoes him away, and uh, and uh, um, he notices the old man's daughter. Um, and he was told that his daughter would go out every morning and drink water from uh, the stream outside of the clan house. And so uh, so Raven formulates his plan. He transforms himself into a speck of dirt, and he floats down this this little stream. She scoops it up, and because she's of a high-class family, the the her attendants, uh, you know, check the water, make sure it's clean, so they draw a feather through it, and they see that, Oh, there's a little speck of dirt. They cast out the water. So Raven has to reformulate his plan. And the next day, he transforms himself into a hemlock needle. And so he floats down the stream this time, and she scoops it up. She doesn't notice it. She swallows the water and swallows the hemlock needle. Now Raven's inside of her, and uh, she becomes pregnant. So he transforms himself into a human child inside her stomach. And then so that's how he gets into the clan house so he immaculate conception yeah yep and uh, uh so there's yeah there's a lot of metaphors in the story um you know and and raven is this at that time he was this transformational figure um uh and that's one that that was taught to me that that perspective was taught to me by a man named walter porter who was uh, a guy yeah. that was a mythologist he um shared with me a lot of uh, like kind of a Joseph Campbell perspective on on how yeah. to interpret these stories. So does he get the box of daylight? <laughs> so he so basically he's a, he's born as a human child. He's really, you know, uh, precocious and mischievous and he's always sneaking around and he finds these boxes. The first box he starts to play with it. He opens it up and it's, you know, it's the stars that are in the box. So he takes the stars and he casts them up into the sky and that's where how they got into up into the uh, into the sky, 
Um, a couple of days later, it comes across another box, and you know everybody's a little bit trepidatious about it this time because he's, you know, they don't want him to lose these objects that are in the box. So he opens it up when nobody's looking, and it's the moon, of course. And he takes the moon and he places it in the sky. And then finally, you know, he's really uh, uh, looking and looking, and he finds this other box, this third box. And uh, this time the old man says, you know, you can't play with that box. And uh, so he fusses and cries and carries on and, you know, stops eating. And he's, you know, wailing and driving everybody crazy. And finally the daughter comes to the old man and says, uh, you know, her father, and says, you know, is there anything more important than your grandson? And he says, yeah, you're right. So he says, but don't open the box. So he, he, you know, Raven at this point is becoming tired of being human in human form. So he, uh, he uh, transforms back into Raven and he grabs the sun. At that point, the, the old man realizes he's been fooled. So he grabs Raven by the tail and he's trying to fly away and he holds him over the fire and the soot from the fire turns him black. So that's how Raven became black. So finally, Raven manages to fly away and he places the sun in the sky. And all of the people in the world were uh, shocked by this, this flash of daylight. They'd, never, they'd yeah. never seen the world that was around them as clearly. And so some of them ran off into the forest. They became the forest animals. Some ran, jumped into the water and they became the water animals and some jumped into the sky and they became the birds and the people that stood where they were uh, became the clinket. And so that's the the whole story, the whole thread of the story that you'll see when you look at the exhibition. I didn't realize that. I mean, that was a, that was a full-on creation story there with every, everyone's yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, Walter used to like to get into the, the metaphors of water and purity of water and, and the things that we use for water and the whole idea that the world is in darkness and Raven brings the light, you know, it's like he used to use uh, biblical metaphors, you know, from like Jesus's for light sure. and, and the Immaculate Conception, um, which, you know, um, really is, it's a biblical term, but it's very, uh, it's very universal. You know, a lot of the, the a lot of uh, religions have that you know, born of a virgin, right. you know, that, the, and, and so it's not, so as Walter would say, I don't want, I don't want people to think that they can hog Jesus all to themselves. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, uh, we, we have, we can interpret it in that way. And then a lot of other, you know, uh, stories, I mean, these stories are, um, you know, there's stories about revenge, there's stories about forgiveness, there's stories about compassion, there's, yeah. uh, you know, this uh, sort of Joseph Campbell perspective of like the hero's journey, um, you know, being faced with adversity and overcoming it. And so these stories are, um, especially when you know Joseph Campbell, there's a, it's a really specific kind of, uh, you know, uh, recipe for these stories. And they're, they're universal. Every story has that. You know, uh, or a lot of stories, mythologies have those kinds of components in them. Absolutely. Um, I understand that both of your great-grandparents were uh, Clinkett and that you heard their stories growing up. Did you hear the story of Raven in the Box of Daylight? 
That's no, a, not specifically. You know, and I grew up uh, in Seattle. So I grew up in Seattle. My great grandmother moved to Seattle uh, in 1923, and so from that point forward, so she was widowed. My great grandfather was killed in a sawmill accident, and he in 1919. So she was left with five children, and mm. um, she remarried a man, a Filipino man. Uh, and then moved to Seattle with him. And from that point forward, you know, we all grew up in Seattle. There were a lot of, um, so I spent a lot of time around her and she lived to be a hundred years old. And so we would visit her. And, um, at that time, you know, she was, uh, you know, quite old and it was really hard to communicate with her. But my great uncle, uh, who was the, you know, the Filipino, uh, my step-great-grandfather, you know, so he was, she had three more children with uh, this man, Dionisio Gubatayo. So he, he, um, uh, my great-uncle Max, he, he wrote a lot of these, some stories down, but mm. they were more like histor- history. It wasn't about like the mythologies. So a lot of the mythologies that I've learned, um, you know, I've learned through books and, and then also, going and interacting with the tribal community up in Alaska. So I, I go up there quite a bit and connect with the community up there and, uh, you know, do work um, and, you know, involved with, you know, bringing artists together and um, and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like this exhibit was, was years in the making. Yeah, it was, um, you know, so it was about 2004 when I met Walter Porter and at that time, he wanted to, you know, talk to me about my work. And so we developed this friendship, this relationship. And we did uh, um, lots of uh, presentations together. And I learned from him, uh, like, how he, he t- interprets these stories. And there was about a dozen stories that he shared with me that then um, he talked about the symbolism. And they were all interconnected in different ways through the symbolism but he considered himself a mythologist, mm. and so, but he would use the Clinket stories as his uh, sort of starting point. Yeah. And then, I mean, just making the glass itself to create this probably took at least a few years, right? Right, right. So we, we, uh, we thought about doing the show. I'd had it as an idea, um, and I've always kind of dabbled in um, installation, um, and so... Even the show that I had here at the museum 10 years ago was, you know, had some, you know, video components and sound components and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was uh, probably about four or five years of really working really hard on all these objects that are in the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, some of the one of the ones that really stood out to me was um, the White Raven mm-hmm. the glass. Uh, it was, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, the White Raven was, uh, it was funny because as I was building the show, you know, it was always talking about White Raven, White Raven. And I was like, I don't have a White Raven in the show. Okay, uh-huh. so then I had to go back and make a make a bunch of them so that they became like the, the you know, sort of the wayfinder for the exhibition. So you follow this White Raven. Follow that story. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you work in the Seattle area? Do you have a studio there, or are you space yeah, I, I, I have. Okay. A, I maintain a studio up in Seattle and South Lake Union, and uh, you know I have a small glass studio and do most of my work there. You haven't sold out to Amazon yet. 
No, it's like <laughs> they've taken over no, every actually, other spot I, of South Lake Union. I, the studio I'm in is uh, was built originally as a as a metal foundry, and then it was taken over by glass blowers in about eighty or early about nineteen eighty. Uh, Sonia Bloomdahl was there for twenty five thirty years, and so she turned over the studio to me. But I actually rent from Fred Hutchinson, so oh, okay. Fred Hutchinson owns the building. Um, so far, so good. They're, <laughs> they're, they will probably eventually expand into, you know, and tear down my building. But uh, the the building itself has been in the twilight zone for many, many years. Yeah, I bet. They were going to tear it down, and then they weren't, and then they were, and then they weren't. So I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still hanging out there. Yeah. Can I ask what you're working on right now? Um, I'm working on um, some private commissions. Uh uh, making a series of objects for um, a, li- a private library, you know, in a, a client's home. Wow. So the top shelf of these, this bookshelf is 14 spaces, and I have to make 14 objects to go into that. I'm also working on public artwork. Um, uh, have a, 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 a been asked to pr- make a design for a garage in Puyallup. A garage. Yeah. So there's a there's a, there's a garage, a parking garage that they're they're building, and they wanted to have. Uh, so I got, I I proposed, I put my name out for the the uh, proposal, and I got accepted. So, um, so public art is another. So the, the Burke Museum is that's the one that's coming up really fast. That'll be mid uh, September. So I worked collaboratively with some other local Seattle natives and we, we made a glass, uh, welcome figure. So that's, that's coming up. Um, yeah. So there's lots of, lots of projects cooking on the horizon there. That sounds really great. Um, so I want everyone to come see the exhibit if they want to learn more, but where could they find you on, on the web? Um, well, I have my website, PrestonSingletary.com. Um, you know, I'm also on Facebook and you can see things that I post there pretty regularly, Instagram, all of that. I also show up at the Traver Gallery up in Seattle. Um, so that's where you can see some of the work. Um, and, uh, also Stonington Gallery is another, um, uh, native art gallery that I show work in on occasion. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that about wraps us up, and I will once again uh, encourage people to come to see Raven and the Box of Daylight through September 2nd, uh, several more weeks to get there. So go check it out at the Museum of Glass. And uh, thank you, Preston, for uh, coming on the show. Thank you very much. Once again, I just want to thank Preston for uh, sharing his time, and uh, that was a really interesting interview. Indeed. Um, I, I understand, Doug, that you used to work at the Museum of Glass. You were the very first hot shop MC. I was. I was the uh, I was the inaugural hot shop so, MC. So what is that like? He swerves left. He blows it. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it's just uh, interpreting what's happening uh, in the hot, on the hot shop floor and also providing some other, you know, the history of, of, of Glass to a degree and the history of Tacoma and about the building and all, well, any number of things. That's a pretty cool job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'll see you again next week. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.